Holy Spirit, we know that apart from your activity right now in our lives and throughout the next days and weeks, apart from that, Scripture is just words on a page, black ink on white paper, um, and it kind of goes in our head and stays there. We want, by your Holy Spirit, we want your word to speak to our whole being, the deepest parts of our souls. So that means you have to give us, Holy Spirit, eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying to us, what you're showing us, and then give us the courage to do what you've asked us to do. Um, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to start talking about... Uh, Church growth in numbers. All right, so I've been doing a study with the Holy Spirit, and so I, what I've done with not only looking at the places in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, but the book of Acts. So I have the whole book of Acts printed out on paper. I mean, I have a Bible too, but I print it out on paper like to make marks and stuff like that. A couple of weeks ago I was reading through, and I, and I realized how often the word numbers occurs in the book of Acts kind of talking about the massive growth that was happening, all right? Let me just kind of run through this is kind of a quick view of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, it says there were 120 believers in the, in the room right before Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people became new Christians on Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 4, we're told the number, the number, the number of believers now totaled 5,000. Acts chapter 6, we're told the believers rapidly multiplied, increasing in number. Acts chapter 6 again, the number of believers greatly increased. Acts chapter 11, a large number of those believed and turned to the Lord. Acts chapter 14, a great number of both Jews and Gentiles became believers. Acts chapter 16, the churches were strengthened and they grew and increased in numbers. So I'm reading this and I'm thinking it seems like somebody was counting and the Holy Spirit thought it was important to let us know uh, Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts, and he researched all this. And for some reason, the accounting of numbers was important to him. So, you know, uh, we're in a church of, what, less than 50 people. So when you think numbers in church, you're like, well, how do you, how do you know if a church is successful? And how do you know if there's the activity of God is happening? And you read the book of Acts, and I kind of conclude, well, it seems like numbers are somehow at least a product of the Holy Spirit's activity. But it's not just talking about, like, the church, Exodus Church. When you think about the church in Bloomington, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing the percentage of Bloomington people who follow Jesus probably isn't a whole lot greater now than it was 30 years ago when I first moved here. So churches come and go, churches grow and don't grow, but for the most part, I'm not saying there aren't new converts. For the most part, it seems like what pastors refer to as transfer growth. This church grows because people left that church to go to this church, and this church grows because people left there and there to go to there. Um, and I haven't talked to a lot of pastors in Bloomington who tell me about the great number of new Christian growth at their church. And we don't talk about that because it typically isn't happening in significant way. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I know there's people who have become new Christians, new converts, new believers, but the counting in the book of Acts seemed to be when there were people that were new to following Jesus, not people that just transferred to other churches. So when I, when I looked at this, 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 these passages, I thought about, okay, the city of Bloomington, and 
what would it look like if it could be said of the city of Bloom, the church in Bloomington, that the number of believers increased in number? Not just the number at one church went to that church and then, but the number across the board in Bloomington increased. People you know, think right now of people you know that aren't followers of Jesus, that as far as you know, they are just going to church and following Jesus is the farthest thing from their mind. All right, people you work with, your neighbors. Those are the kind of people that all of a sudden in the book of Acts, they, they turned and they followed Jesus. So, of course, then I started asking the question, well, what's going on there? What, what's going on there? And it's not like it's a formula. We're not looking for the right buttons to push. But we are looking, trying to look for, like, different kind of themes or principles to understand. So that kind of got me thinking about some of these things. So we've been doing a series called Honor the Holy Spirit. We've got these signs up here because... In, in the end, when things get really challenging in your life or my life or for the church, whether it's uh, pressure outside or inside, the only two things that really matter is we learn how to pray like Jesus um, and we learn to honor the Holy Spirit because both of those speak to this supernatural reality of, of the church. The church is not a social organization. It's not a political organization. It's not a moral or organization. It's a supernatural organization that has honoring the Holy Spirit and praying like Jesus as the roots of who we are. So, um, so, again, I've been looking at the book of Acts because we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. So, we're going to look at some passages from the book of Acts. Again, we're thinking about the whole numbers thing. How does a church increase in growth? All right, so go to the first next slide here. So, I, ha- I leave a passage blank, and if you have a Bible, please don't look it up and cheat. All right, no cheaters, all right? But um, this is uh, in Acts chapter 9. So, the church had been expanding... New believers were happening all the time. Acts chapter 9, the church then had peace throughout, and I left out, there's like four or five different regions, so there's peace throughout this area and this area and this area and this area. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with blank, it also grew in numbers. All right? Here's some things I think could go in the blank, at least what we often think of, all right? And with a new building, it also grew in numbers. Or, and with an aggressive marketing campaign, it also grew in numbers. And I'm not, I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying we often think, at least in the church growth world, that pastors are often told things. This is what we're told, you know. Uh, or a thriving kids ministry, it also grew in numbers. And with a strong small group ministry, it also grew in numbers. Or, and with a rocking contemporary worship, it also grew in numbers. Or with exceptional preaching and teaching, it also grew in numbers. We tend to think, okay, if we have that, if we have this missing piece, if we have that missing piece, if we we get Aaron to grow his hair longer and have him wear skinny jeans all the time and he's kind of a cool, you know, or if I could preach better or we had this better or that better, if we had a building... And none, none, those things aren't bad. I mean, Aaron with long hair might be bad, but those things in general aren't bad. They're not bad things. But if we rely on those things to get the kind of growth in numbers, again, not just for us, but for the whole community, then we're not really doing it in the way that the Scripture would challenge us to at least foundationally do it, all right? So here's what it says. And with, go to the next slide, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So, 
the church of peace became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers. So what does that mean? I mean, does he just, you know, how does the Holy Spirit... Well, the word encouragement there is the same word that's often used in other parts of the Bible, and it's, uh, it's, the, Greek word, um, it's the Greek word for uh, comforter, come alongside, advocate. All right? With the advocacy of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers. With the Holy Spirit cheering people on, it grew in numbers. Um, so here's the here's a analogy for that term, because encouragement is, like I said, sometimes it's... Ch- it's translated as the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's translated with the advocacy of the Holy Spirit at growing numbers. But obviously the Holy Spirit is the key part here. So um, in terms of advocacy, I, uh, when I was in junior high, in order to get an A in a certain part of a junior high PE class, you had to run a mile in six minutes. I couldn't do that. My twin brother, he could. When I was in junior high and later elementary school, my nickname with some of my friends was Fatty Matty. All right? I've gotten over that, all right? But I couldn't run a six-minute mile. My, young, my twin brother could. My brother, a year older than me, could. I could never do it. So when I was like 29, 30, I think I was trying to heal a childhood wound. I thought, I'm going to run a six-minute mile. And I thought, well, I'll go to the track at IU and time myself. And I think I did it once, and I didn't get six-minute mile. I can't do it. So I was telling a friend of mine, or actually was a college student, his name was Phil, and he goes, I'll help you do it. I said, how are you going to help me? He said, I'll run with you. I'll, I'll set the pace for you. I'll encourage you. I'll advocate for you. I'll go with you. And I was like, well, maybe that would help. Because he knew what the pace would feel like. He was a runner himself. So he ran with me, and I think I might have had 559 or something like that. But I needed an advocate. I needed somebody with me. All right? So in this same sense, so the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the advocacy of the Holy Spirit, think about, now, yeah, think about the church in Bloomington or this church in Numbers, but think about your own life. There's things you want to see increase in. And I'm not just talking financial increase, although maybe there might be a financial element to your desire that, that may be totally godly, but there also may, you may want increase in uh, the health of quantity of your marriage and your family, whatever. You might want increase in just your, your quantity of joy in your life, increase of your soul that can hold the joy that God, God only gives, or increase of peace, increase of a lot of things, all right? And maybe you, like me sometimes, try to run, run that race and get that on your own, and we've kind of forgotten to ask the Holy Spirit, can you, can you go with me in this? And we sang a song about, I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind me. It's that sense of, you're, you're going with me, you're going ahead of me, you're going with me. So as I'm trying to figure this thing out in my relationship I want, that I want growth in, or in my uh, financial life, again, not for the sake of selfishness, but for, just for he- financial health, or, or peace, or joy, or whatever, it's like, maybe there's, there's ways we ask for, or for the church, Okay, Holy Spirit, would you, would you encourage us? Would you, would you go with me, alongside me? That's literally what the word means, go alongside you. Will you go alongside me, and will you order my steps? Will you tell me where to go, where not to go, what to say, what not to say, what situations to step into or not step into? Again, for whatever area of your life that you want to see growth in. 
It could be a simple prayer. Holy Spirit, go with me in this. And maybe it's a prayer you utter 20 times a day. Holy Spirit, go with me in this. You know my, what I want to see increase in my life. Go with me. If I need to go left when I want to go right and you say go left, let me hear you. But it's clear the church grew in numbers not because they were uh, astute, smart people or had like super duper uh, campaigns or marketing or things like that. Again, those things aren't bad, but when you rely on those things, it's not the Holy Spirit growing. It's just human wisdom that can figure things out to get some numbers to change. So, again, maybe there's an area of your life you need to be asking the Holy Spirit to go with you, encourage you, advocate for you. There's another passage we're going to do a fill-in-the-blank for here. This is in Acts chapter 11. So blank, 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 and in the sense there is as a result of the blank, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. All right, so now that's not talking about so much the, it is talking about the numbers and the growth of the church, but now it's just talking about individuals that turn to the Lord in, in, in a mass number. Not individuals that start going to your church that are disgruntled with the other church down the street, but now it's people like your friends, family, coworkers who don't know Jesus, and something happened, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. All right? I'll fill in the blanks with some other things, some things that sometimes we think, all right? Uh, and they started a Christian radio station, and a great number of people turned to the Lord. Again, these aren't bad, all right? They voted the right people into political office, and therefore a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Uh, they passed out gospel tracts, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. They took a stand for family values. They even marched on Washington. And a great number of people turned to the Lord. Or they put bumper stickers on their car. And therefore, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I mean, I'm being facetious with some of those. But there's all, there are all kinds of ways we think, how do we, how do we get the message to people, our neighbors and friends? And how do we talk to them about Jesus? And we, sometimes we think, well, if we just had the right people in political office, it'd be much easier for people to sit. And we realize that those are really mostly flat ideas. We're doing something, but it's not generating, we know, it doesn't generate a great number of people believe in the turn of the Lord. So here's the phrase. The hand of the Lord was with them. Okay, here we have another one of these supernaturally kind of, what does that look like? The hand of the Lord was with them. This is actually talking about some some men who had uh, gone to a different area to preach the gospel, and they said they spoke boldly. This was right. Actually, Saul, who had just changed his name to Paul, said he preached boldly. And then they uh, went from town to town, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Okay, what, what does that mean for the hand of the Lord to be with Mike Kalb or Tom Kelzer or the good cooks over here? And Kristen Moy and her parents. What, what, does it mean? what does it mean that the hand of the Lord is on you individually or even on a church? What does that mean? Well, so let's look at some. So, kind of, um, the whole hand of the Lord thing kind of grabbed me. I think I've told a few of you, some of the elder guys recently, that just this phrase kind of grabs me lately that what does it mean that the hand of the Lord is with somebody? What, is, what would it look like if we could generally say, the hand of the Lord is with us, all right? So the Bible has, we, the opening psalm we read talked about the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord is mighty. He has a powerful arm and a mighty hand. 
So it's kind of the imagery in Scripture is, is usually the activity of God. When the hand of the Lord is on somebody, it's uh, indicative of the hand, the hand of the Lord is, is powerful. In, in the Old Testament, when they, when, they, uh, when they got out of the promise, they got to the promised land and they started defeating all these people and taking over the land, and they were outnumbered, but they were winning battles. And it's, Scripture tells us or, uh, in the book of Joshua um, that, they, that they wanted people to know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And whenever you, there's a number of passages in the Old Testament where it talks about the mighty hand of God on the people. All right? And whenever, pe- whenever the hand was on people, there's actually uh, Ezra, in the book of Ezra, the, book, hand of mighty, the, mighty, the hand of the Lord was upon Ezra, the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah, the hand of the Lord was on, upon Ezekiel, the hand of the Lord was upon John the Baptist. All right? The hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord. And whenever the hand of the Lord is on somebody, here's some things that happen. They have, they have unusual courage. They have supernatural ability. It actually says Elijah, when the hand of the Lord was on him, he outran a chariot to get to some place before the chariot could get there. First Kings, I can tell you where it is if you want to read the story. But the hand of the Lord gave him supernatural ability. The hand of the Lord, when it's on somebody, gives them clarity. Clarity of what God wants me to do. Clarity of what the next steps he wants me to do. And when the hand of the Lord is on somebody in Scripture, it leads to a flourishing of life, or an increase. When the hand of the Lord is on somebody, there's an increase. Flip side, though, Scripture also talks about the hand of the Lord being against people. The hand of the Lord, even in in the book of Judges, the hand of the Lord was against his own people, the Jewish people, because of their ongoing stubborn disobedience. So the hand of the Lord, it says, was against them. Actually, it says the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, because the Lord had warned them, and they were in terrible distress because the hand of the Lord was against them. Other times in Scripture, the hand of the Lord is against Pharaoh. The hand of the Lord always is against people who refuse to accept the ways of God as the life-giving, fully of joy and peace kind of ways, but they stubbornness, the hand of the Lord becomes against them. All right? And again, there's times in the Old Testament where the hand of the Lord was against his own people. Not out of vindictiveness, but out of the sense of they weren't obeying, they were stubborn, and he wanted their attention. So the, his hand was against them. And whenever the, God, the hand of God is against people, Scripture tells us it brings about death, destruction, bitterness, distress, panic, and terrifying fear. And the hand of the Lord becomes against us when we choose to disobey. And so um, there's global things in the Scripture there, but I'm talking about even our own life when there's times where we have not obeyed God in clear things, his hand will be against you. And again, not in a vindictive way, not in a punitive way, but in a way that he eventually wants to see you uh, turn back to him because he wants your life to flourish. And if anything, maybe God's hand is against you because he knows the way you're going is not going to lead to the flourishing life you want. So he's stopping you maybe even from greater harm. So the hand of the Lord can be on people. The hand of the Lord can be uh, against people. So again, in this passage, it says the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. A great number of people. So then I ask, okay, the, okay, the what now or so what question is, how do we get the hand of the Lord on us? 
I mean, it's not, it's not a formula. It's not like, well, we do. The Pharisees thought it was a formula. They thought, well, if we do this, this, and this, and obey in just the right ways, then God has to work on our behalf. But their hearts were, as Jesus said, their hearts were like dark waters because they thought it was all about external behaviors. If we just behave correctly, yeah, obedience, yes, but right behavior doesn't always equal obedience. Those of you who have small children know what I mean because the kids can do the right thing. They can behave like you want them to, but you know their hearts are still kind of fighting you, right? So what does it mean to have the hand of the Lord on your marriage, on your family, on your finances, on your just personal well-being in your soul? What does it mean for the hand of the Lord being on a church? What does it mean for the hand of the Lord to be on all the Christ-centered churches in Bloomington? Because I guarantee you, if that, if that were true, if we could say that with truth about all the churches in Bloomington, we're, we're, we're talking significant change in our community because numbers, number of people, a great number of people, would believe and turn to the Lord. So, uh, and I, it's not an either-or. It's not like either God's hands on you or he's against you. I, I don't understand the in-between. Scripture doesn't always tell us. We don't, we don't know. But it does seem like there's certain times where the hand of the Lord is on people in special ways to give people special favor for the sake of more people, greater number of people believing. And again, I don't know why God, uh, there's, I'm sure there's, I know there's good wisdom in that. I don't know why God, some and not others. But I thought, well, one thing we can do is ask for it. Because Scripture tells us if we lack something, we can ask God. And he doesn't find fault in our asking, so we can ask him. You know, for your marriage, for your life, for your finances, for your health, uh, for our church, for the churches of Bloomington. So, so how do we do that? Do we, I mean, again, is it, is it like a candy machine? Well, I'm going to ask him for this and this. No, you just, Jesus, I want, the hand, I want your hand to be on us. And I want things to, I want to see things change. I want to see courage, clarity, and flourishing life in my own life. I want to see churches, I want to see pastors in Bloomington speak with boldness, including myself. Clarity, I want to see churches flourish in Bloomington. So what does it mean for us, how do we ask the hand of God? And I'm just going to, I'm going to end with this verse here, because I think this, in Peter, First Peter he just challenges us, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And the hand of God just shows up in all kinds of ways in Scripture. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and at the right time. So the timing is his. So it's not, God is not a candy machine that when I want his hand on me, I can do this and pull the lever and there it is. Because God will not, he will not let himself be reduced to that kind of a machine operation. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Actually, read that third line with me out loud, really. And at the right time. One more time. And at the right time. All right. At the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. So, humbling ourselves under God would simply just be saying, because the, the posture of humility is not a posture of demand, it's, and it's not, but it, neither is it a posture of Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. It's simply a posture of, you know, like when your kids are little and they say they, they want something from you. 
And you may not, you know, they want a cookie from you. And I'm not trying to equate a cookie with the hand of God, but they want a cookie from you. Well, it's not a bad thing for them, but at the right time you'll give it to them, which is usually after the meal. And they don't understand that. They just want it now. But the posture of their humility toward you is, can I have that now? Can I have that? And you don't, you don't yell at them for wanting something that's good. Right? God's not going to be upset if you ask for something that's good. Now, if you demand, if you're asking like this, I want this right now, then of course God's going to be like, I'm not, I'm not really going to give in to your tantrums. But if you ask, that's, that's the posture of under the, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Right? And in the right time. So I want you to close your eyes. And um, I don't know, maybe you can identify some area of your life, I'm sure we all can to some degree, where we either need the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, we need him to run alongside us and bring about uh, courage and clarity and a sense of flourishing in our lives, or, or, and these are actually some of the same, two of the same things, and we want his hand on us. Because the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and the hand of God on us really are two of the same thing. So maybe what comes to your mind immediately is, maybe it's just you. Maybe you need encouragement in your spirit. Maybe you need the Holy Spirit to be an advocate for you. Maybe you're fighting all kinds of self-doubts. Maybe you wrestle with lack of joy or lack of peace in your life, and you, just, you desperately uh, but humbly want the Holy, more of the Holy Spirit in your life, but you want the hand of God on you, on that part of your being. Maybe it's on your marriage. Maybe you'd say, I, we need the hand of God on our marriage. Maybe your marriage isn't even awful, but make, it's not all it could be. You need the hand of God on your marriage. You want to see flourishing in your marriage. Or maybe it is this church. Maybe it's other churches in Bloomington that come to mind for you. So... Whatever it is for you, if you just with your eyes closed, just open your hand in front of you, like on your lap or whatever, so it's opened up. And your, whatever is in your hand right now is the very thing you're asking God uh, to put his hand on. Because he can't put his hand on anything you won't let go of. If you're going to cover it up with your fist and demand it from God, he can't touch it. If you open it up, he, he can put his hand on it. So God, I pray right now um, for each one of us as we have our hands open, and maybe there's multiple things in our hands that we want to see the encouragement of your Holy Spirit, but we also, in the way that we know that the hand of God is upon us. I pray for the marriages here that the hand of, your hand would be on them. I pray for individuals here, your hand would be on them in ways that brings about wholeness and peace and joy that they think at this point is elusive to them. And they even wonder whether you're holding out, but we know you don't hold out on us, God. But would you put your hand on those people who specifically need healing in their souls? But I also pray for this church. I pray that you would put your hand on us as a congregation. And as a result, we want to see people come to know you and follow you that currently aren't in church anywhere. We want people who see things about Jesus, the anointed one, they've never seen before. And we want that through us, through our interaction with people, through boldness that maybe we don't think we have, but you can give us. 
may more and more people, our friends, our neighbors, may they in great number believe and turn to you. So their lives can also have a, degree, a, a wealth of peace and joy and hope because of what you do for them. But I pray for other churches in Bloomington as well. Pray for Lighthouse Community Church, Sherwood Oaks, Emmanuel Church, uh, St. Paul's Catholic, um, Living Waters Church, all the churches that we've often talked about or mentioned that we know where Jesus is exalted and the Bible's trusted. I just pray that you put your hand on those churches and on those pastors. And I pray that uh, there would be a great number of women and men in Bloomington who believe and turn to Jesus because of the activity of your spirit in those churches around Bloomington in which your son is uh, glorified. Uh, we love you. And uh, again, what we want... I'm going to add this in prayer, God, too. And I'm not adding this to test you. But I'm adding this because... We want, we want to see evidence of your hand being on us, whether it's evidence in our marriage, evidence in our uh, financial world, our health, our body, our evidence in this church, because we want to know that your hand on us. We, don't, we, can't, we can't guess. We're not that smart, God. We don't want to guess. We want to know deep in our being that your hand is on us, that we see you moving. But we also want to say that at the right time, we, we're, not, we're not demanding. We want you to give us supernatural patience if that's what we need. But we're not demanding, but at the right time, we want to see your mighty hand at work in our lives and give us trust in the meantime. So, Jesus, we love you. Um, Holy Spirit, we are, uh, um, we, are, we are enamored with you because of what you can do in our lives. And so would you keep us open to you all the time? And even this week, would there be ways we see your hand at work in and around our lives that we know it's you? So give us, since we often lack faith, give us, uh, give us evidence that you're at work. Because we need to know that. We want to know that. We desperately want to know that. But we also trust you, so at your own time, God. And we love you, Jesus. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.